This is John Stepling. This is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast number, (laughs) I never know, 94, I believe, but let me find out to be sure. Yes, podcast number 94. Um, And uh, with me, here we go, with me in India, Varun Mathur. Hi, Varun. Hello. Uh, in New York, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. Uh, Corey Morningstar in Toronto. Hey. Hi. Corey. Hi. And, and <laughs> in, I think, Uppsala right at the moment, who may have to leave early to catch a train, Johan Edebo. Hi, Johan. Hey, hey, everybody. I'm actually in Stockholm. You're in Stockholm. Okay. You're on your way to Uppsala. I'm back to Buddha. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, you're somewhere in the greater Sweden area. Um, all right. We've we've it's been a few weeks. There have been lots of things going on, uh, a couple of weeks, I guess. Uh and uh the most obvious discussion begins with with um Gaza, with the Hamas uh incursion into israel and i guess the 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 most significant aspect of this i've appeared twice on on press tv uh talking about it the most obvious thing is the way the narrative is being shaped in the west and uh everyone is acutely aware of this of course uh the the number of sort of fake videos and uh <clears throat> unsubstantiated rumors and claims and from beheaded babies which turned out to actually be from this one crazy uh israeli soldier who's a settler and has done this before that was his invention but I think it got repeated by the president of the United States. Uh, it's, it's, we see across the EU countries uh, with, with Israeli flags everywhere. Uh, the Eiffel Tower is in blue and white lights, the Brandenburg Gate, on and on and on and on. Uh, so, and I think in the U.S., the Empire State Building was was uh, decorated in Israeli colors as well. Uh, and there's been an increase in official government uh, uh, suppression of dissent. You you can't say anything good about Palestinian rights or talk about the crimes against Palestinians or fly a you know Palestinian flag or put it on your account or anything like that. There is a rapid mobilization from governments to criminalize any any sort of support for Palestinians. And uh, the voices in support are are there's a handful of people. Norman Finkelstein, uh, uh, Eve Bartlett, Miko Pellet, 
Jonathan Cook. There are not many. And there was a video we were talking about earlier from 2021 by Gabor Mate, of all people, actually, <clears throat> that was remarkable. Because what you see, and then I'm, I'll let you guys weigh in, what, what I see anyway, in, in terms of social media and <clears throat> people I know and whatnot, is that is two things. One is that there is an ahistorical sort of orientalism that's put in place because one of the one of the the tropes that is being trotted out is well that this is some kind of false flag that this is somehow Mossad and because Netanyahu had backdoor channels to Hamas and because Israelis are invincible and so superior that it's impossible a bunch of dirty Arabs uh, actually managed to uh, get around the surveillance and, and walk across the border unimpeded. So, so the idea is that even the mistake must somehow be the creation of the West. Arab agency is denied. That's the, the, the actual Arab is, is disappeared. And that was one of Edward Said's, you know, main themes when he, when he wrote and he lectured, there's a great lecture I'll put in the links from, I believe Berkeley, um, a number of years ago now, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, where he talked about, about the, the fact that that everything is from the perspective of the West. Everything is from the perspective of the white West. And uh, it gives rise to, to these simplifying narrative uh, <clears throat> constructions. I read somebody today on social media saying, oh, you know, don't get caught up taking sides because these people have been fighting each other for thousands of years. And I said, well, no, they've been fighting since 1948, actually. And uh, that's a very specific date. And that, that period, the invention of Israel, how and why it happened, the terror and violence visited upon the Palestinians at that time is all but erased from history. That's the, the main element that is missing in all of these discussions. So, uh, and it was interesting that Mate touched upon that. Okay, Johan. Yeah, sure. There are many, many interesting threads to pull out here, I think. And it's very important that you, that you underscore how, how agency is denied here in the sense that you, nothing of importance can ever happen here without it being orchestrated by the West. Somehow. And that, that, I think that's important to think about when we deal with, uh, well, the dissent from our camp, so to speak. But I wanted to get back to, to what you opened with, this, this remarkable, remarkable suppression of, of, of dissent in the sense that I, I just read, I sent you guys the link, I think, the France bans pro-Palestinian protests, which is it's completely astonishing. And I'm going to read a quick bit from the article here. Uh, Macron says it's, it's necessary to maintain national security and to prevent anti-Semitic attack, attacks to, to sort of suppress these uh, 
restless natives from the immigrant communities, apparently, then. And yeah, do you see these kinds of things in, in other contexts, or is this is this unique to France? Because you mentioned that there had been other examples. Um, yeah, I, 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 I mean the the depiction of this, uh, the Hamas attack is there is never a discussion about why Palestinians are resisting, and and the few people that I cited are are you know, Finkelstein, Jonathan Cook, and all of these people, Miko Pellet has been extraordinarily articulate saying, you have 30, 40 years of increasing oppression of the Palestinians, humiliation, the checkpoints, there's hundreds of checkpoints. Palestinians are the most surveilled people on earth. Gaza is the most densely populated chunk of land on earth. And there is a wholesale carpet bombing of civilian neighborhoods. There's already a hundred children dead from these bombings. That number will go up and up and up. But this is not talked about. What is talked about is the suffering of the Israelis, uh, what savages and animals, the you know, Hamas terrorists, always underscoring the word terrorists are, and so forth. And you try to you try to talk to people and say, you know, resistance movements, look at the Algerian revolution. Resistance movements are violent because, because that's the nature of resisting occupation. And nobody was in love with um, you know, the uh, what was it, the F FLN in Algeria. It was a a, a ruthless puritanical, repressive, homophobic movement. But that's what got France kicked out of Algeria. And would they have left otherwise? That's the question. Corey? Yeah, I thought I would um, read something that Brun wrote earlier that sort of goes to toward what we're talking about, about feeling, you know, almost like physically beaten. Like, you're, you're, you know, the gaslighting is so intense and so thick in the in this um you know artificial zeitgeist they they create that it actually starts to feel like you're physically beaten you know and it's same same over it's and repeat over and over and it's unimaginable to like it's unbelievable to me that people can't see through this so clearly at this juncture in time um but anyway i want to read this um Arun says about this, um, you know, what we've been seeing, you know, where the, where um, Israel now has become the <laughs> oppressed and Pal Palestine's the oppressor basically is what it's been turned into. And Brun says, it can be explained though, the normalization process has taken decades. So the dynamic has been set. Anything outside of that is jarring to the mind. A steady static idea of this is the world is shaken up unfamiliarity and that that is something people are no longer used to especially in the context of the homogenization project or neoliberal capital 
The high tension state of the world with war and extreme poverty still leans in favor of empire. Anything that threatens the stability is seen as a threat to personal individual gauge of how to see the world. It's a great symptom of how colonized the minds of people really are. Atrocities can continue by empire. That is normal, static, and acceptable. Anything outside of that becomes unacceptable. Yeah, yeah. And that's and that's exactly right. Varun? Yeah, I just wanted to exemplify what you were saying earlier. And thanks for reading that out, Corey. Uh, I was at a, at a small local shop this evening. And obviously, this whole thing has been on the news nonstop since it began. And there was a the shopkeeper was having a chat with somebody else about look at what the Palestinians have done to the Israelis. That was the narrative of conversation. And I interjected asking whether he knew of the violence and terror that Israel has meted out on Palestinians in the last 60 years. And he had a blank look on his face and he said, what are you talking about? He had no idea, yeah, absolutely no. no idea that there has been what has gone on in the last 60, 60 years since the Nakba. Yeah, no, he had, he had no idea of it at all. So in the sense that <clears throat> the actual history is now hidden entirely. Yeah, and people Johan? have no idea. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I'm just. Oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. Right. Johan. Oh, sorry. I'm just announcing something on the train schedule, but yeah, the the framing is also so so over the top, absurd, in in terms of what Palestine is, in, in terms of what the Gaza Strip is. I mean, so so the the Swedish major daily, the the editorial called for argued that. The, Netanyahu regime must break and and dethrone the the Palestinian regime within the the, the Gaza territory. But but it's it's an occupied territory, totally under control of. of I mean, this this very notion. I think we spoke about, it, but the, the response that oh, we're going to cut off food and water and electricity to, from from Gaza. The, the very fact that this is possible to do at the, the push of a yes. button. I mean, that, that yes. tells something about how absurd the situation is and the balance of power that, that actually holds here. That, that, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point. <clears throat> um, and I think that people forget because I get people say, you can't possibly, you can't possibly justify the violence of Hamas. And I said, look, the, it's not a. That's not the question. That's an invalid question. And and that Palestinian um, envoy who has been making the rounds on media was so articulate about this. Said this is this is you can't. This is the wrong question. This is not a. You know, look at any what happened in South Africa under apartheid. That was that took a long time. That took several decades, and it was violent at times. And Mandela was thrown in jail for 26 years, I think it was. Um, and there was violence because the occupier won't leave otherwise. The question is, do you think it's legitimate for Israel, as Johan just noted, to be in such total control of people's lives that they can cut off electricity and water to everybody in Gaza? 
and and that they control when people can go places and when they can't. They control the money that goes in and out of there. They control the food that goes in and out of Gaza. They can cut off everything at, at a second's notice. And this has gone on for decades and decades and decades. Uh, but so profound has been the marketing of the of the original, you know, origin story of Israel, that all the Israeli violence, the terror groups, the bombing of the King David Hotel, and on and on, this is just suppressed and erased. And I'm sure, as Varun noted, most people don't know this story. So no, I don't. <clears throat> I don't like violence at all. I can't engage in violence because I'm not capable of it, and I'm not in a position, fortunately, where I have to make those decisions. But imagine if you're a Palestinian with with a family with children, and you see how many children have been killed over the decades by the Israeli. There's hundreds of very small children in prison in Israeli prisons for, for these minor offenses because they're called terrorists. As somebody noted, I might have been Gabor Mate, in Hong Kong, if, if resistors throw rocks, they're painted as heroes. If children in Gaza throw rocks, they are arrested. They're terrorists or they're shot. Um, it is, it is, it is, it is just mind-numbing, and to echo Corey, I feel exhausted too. I'm I'm tired. You know, I had my <clears throat> my heart stoppage. I was dead for two minutes, and I came back. I'm back from the dead, and it it gives you a certain perspective. And I worry about the future. I worry about the future for my children, and I think um, the kind of indoctrination and propaganda they will be exposed to in their institutional education with the people you know in this area and um and and i don't have an answer for that and it makes me it it makes me very sad so it it, it we are against this this just this monumental um this monumental machine that churns out this misinformation, this propaganda, and will demonize Muslims anyway as as just a, a rote action. They will demonize Arabs. It is the Orientalist narrative is just banged on over and over and over. And most of the West, most of Europe and North America, certainly the United States, um, <clears throat> has no idea, no experience of that kind of oppression. I mean, the last Americans that understood the Palestinians were the Black Panthers, I think. Uh, but but that that kind of understanding is in very short supply today. Johan. So we had a, a Swedish-speaking Israeli officer in, in Swedish television interviewed and he explicitly likens the Palestinians with, with animals. It was such a, a strong dehumanizing language, which which um, surprised many many who, who saw this. And I also listened to Netanyahu's speech like, for days. 
to go or something like that. And we see these, these narratives of the juxtaposition of civilization and barbarism very strongly expressed, very uh, much in the same sense that, that uh, some of uh, George Bush's speeches right after 9-11 uh, could be but, characterized, yeah. possibly even stronger than that. And I was wondering if, if Hiroyuki, if, if you lived in New York uh, around this time, if there are any similarities above the, the media narratives and discourses, the responses to, to, to what we see now, if you can make any interesting comparisons here. Well, I, I don't really uh, uh, expose to uh, <laughs> uh, outside world that much. I, uh, um, I'm kind of, you know, away from the city area and uh, um, though, so I all I hear is uh, things through the uh, social media, and uh, I did talk to uh, uh, my wife about it, and uh, um, you know it, it's expected. Uh, the official narrative is uh, for the uh, uh, Israel, and um, uh, we hear all kinds of um, made-up stories to demonize um uh Hamas and uh, uh the rest of the uh resistance and uh, um I mean it, it, it's really uh uh it is appalling that the same narrative uh repeats we we, we just had uh things with the uh Ukrainian uh conflict and uh, we've heard all kinds of uh, Russian um, uh, atrocity and uh, uh, total um, annihilation of the uh, the historical background uh, leading up to the uh, what happened um, uh, with the special operation and uh, um, but the I, I mean if we step back and look at it it, it the uh, I mean Israel is uh, imperial project. It's a product of the uh, the U.S. Empire. It's supplied with um, military forces uh, from the U.S. and the financial uh, support uh, from the U.S. is enormous. I mean, you know, Israel is a small country in Middle East. It's surrounded by the uh, anti-imperial forces, and so I, I mean, it's obvious that. Israel is playing the role of the uh, empire and without this dynamic um what's happening wouldn't happen and um I mean you know the the Israelis uh the Jews um and the Palestinians they're the same people from the same area sharing the history and they are the oppressed people both of the groups and it's a you know the same idea of putting those oppressed people against each other using one party as a tool um sort of like uh having house slaves elevating the positions of one group and make them do the dirty job for the empire. And the blames are totally uh, shouldered by the uh, uh, those people. And, you know, it's the same imperial structure that's that's been unfolding for generations <laughs> and generations. And I, I don't I don't really see any um, end to this unless unless it's recognized. And Israel 
must cease to be such a monstrous being, a being which can do what it does as a normal behaviors. I mean, you know, if it turns into just a regular country, um, you know, people can more or less um, live in harmony. I mean, I mean, the country has apartheid policies and, yeah. you know, it's amazing how those things could be normalized and stuck in people's mind when something happens, why, you know, the, uh, one thing I hear is that, why did Hamas do something like that? It's expected, Israel will uh, kill them all, but why? Right, I right. mean, but, but that doesn't make any sense. Are they allowed to do that? No, they are not allowed to do it, but they are allowed to do it. That's why they are standing up, you know? It's, it's, it's- uh... Well, it's important, it's important. Something you said is important to take note of. Um, Israel is subsidized by the United States. And if the United States cut off that subsidizing, cut off the money supply, um, Israel would cease to exist because they don't have a large enough tax base. It is a small country. Um, and and you you I mean, there is also this extant anti-Semitism, this both structural and and kind of real that is um, used by by Tel Aviv to justify their actions. It's not that anti-Semitism is not real. It is real. But the other trope that always gets thrown out is the United States does whatever Israel tells them to do. No, Israel does what the United States tells them to do. But these two entities have all but merged. And I mean, there are countless senators and State Department officials and high-ranking government um, officials who have dual citizenship between the United States and Israel. They carry two passports. An unimaginable number. I, I will put it in the in the links when we're done with this. Uh, so it, it it's essentially a, a, a you know a garrison state a, a functioning garrison state under control of of the U.S. and that's the reason for its creation originally with with um, Churchill and Balfour and these people who were all of them rabid anti-Semites, but they saw the logic in having uh, a client state in the Middle East that would do the dirty work, as you say, for empire. And the fact that hundreds, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were dispossessed, displaced, driven off their land, that their land has been stolen from day one, and has, you know more land is stolen every single day. More illegal settlements are built, and occasionally they are scolded by the United Nations, Israel, but nothing. Most of the most of the resolutions that um, are created in the UN. <laughs> <clears throat> criticizing Israel are blocked by the U.S. that is a member of the Security Council, so nobody ever sees them, nobody ever reads them, nobody ever hears about them. Um, so, so it, this this is like the <clears throat> the secondary layer of uh, interpretation that one one has to look at here. But just in terms of this particular event, it's it's what's a, it. The, the question is how 
how what did one expect what does one expect of a population that is totally occupied collectively punished tortured humiliated and uh and stolen from what what do you expect them to do it's not justifying violence or resistance i mean resistance is the logical outcome what would you do i just always ask this of people and of course you're going to be made militant of course you are going to be angry enraged and want to lash out and uh, the fact that much of the global south the streets the arab street was celebrating this israeli intelligence lapse um speaks to how hated um the israeli state is in much of the world it is only in the west um or at least in the governments of the west in which this this blind support of Israeli violence is officially condoned and encouraged. Varun. Yeah, I mean, how if somebody walks into your house and starts pushing you around, how long are you going to take it? Essentially, I mean, that's the question, right? Like, are you because the call for kind of passive resistance at this point in that context between Israel and Palestine becomes complete nonsense? Right, like in the sense, like how long? How long is somebody supposed to sit in a yoga pose while somebody is slapping them around? It's just ridiculous to think that that's possible. Yeah, I mean, you can you can just look at the numbers um, over thirty years, last thirty years, the numbers of um, of dead Palestinians, children, um, mothers, elderly. Uh, look at maps, look at the land that has been stolen, look at what the settlers have done, look at how the settlers treat Palestinians. I mean, these are fanatical, crazy people, and Netanyahu has stocked his administration with this far, far right, uh, because he had to form a coalition to keep himself out of jail. And Seymour Hirsch had an interesting article on on Netanyahu today that he, that he's politically dead, and um, and that's probably true. So on one level, as Varun pointed out earlier today when we were talking, on one level, how much collusion there was, backdoor, secret, you know, false flag stuff, really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter because the overriding reality is. You have an apartheid state with a ruthless, cruel occupation of a people, and they have no rights. And as Johan said, who ran off to catch his train, I think, uh, how is it that that Israel has such control over these people that with a flip of the switch, they can cut off electricity and water and food? Um, these are crimes. These are war crimes. But but that's not what you hear in Western media. It's not what you hear from Western influencers or celebrities or politicians. Never, ever, ever, ever do you hear that. And if you do, if somebody does say something, saying, but, but Israel maybe doesn't have the right to exist, maybe they didn't have the right to kick out hundreds of thousands of Palestinians in 1948, there were 
you know, there was other land offered to the Zionists, but they, you know, they believed in this mythical connection to King David and the religious narrative they um, <clears throat> uphold. And so that was the West didn't care. The empire, the British crown didn't care. Uh, so we could just go on and on reciting the inequalities and unfairness of this, but but I suppose I suppose the the more significant part here too, or at least equally significant, is uh, is is to ask about this criminalizing of dissent. There was that memo that the UK politician is it is it Braverman, um, but others too sent out to social media and to major media outlets, uh, newspapers and television and uh, internet news sites, warning of, uh, of allowing pro-Palestinian content to appear, that this was, this was essentially being talked about as illegal, that you, you, can't, you can't voice support for Palestinian rights. So we are seeing each step. It began with COVID and then it escalated dramatically with Ukraine and Russia. And we saw this tsunami of propaganda and anti-Russian, <clears throat> anti-Putin stuff that, that filled the airways. Uh, and now we're seeing it in hyperdrive. And also the, this, this, uh, Hamas attack creates a very, a very, um, a very welcome distraction for Washington, for the Biden administration as the Ukraine war winds down. There's going to be some kind of peace settlement soon. Uh, Ukraine has lost. Zelensky will retire to one of his many mansions and uh, do another Vogue photo shoot probably and eventually host a late night television show is my prediction. And there'll be some kind of partition. The US will, will find a way to create uh, a lot of saber rattling and escalation of tensions with Iran because that's the other aspect of this is that Iran is the ultimate target for both the US and Israel. And, uh, and so that will be the next phase of these, these limited wars and limited conflicts. China too, of course, is always on the, on the menu for uh, demonizing and attacks. But the propaganda, I mean, I don't know how many times you have to see the same stuff, whether it's, uh, what's his name, Fikret Elich, the man behind the barbed wire fence in, um, in Serbia that turned out not to be actually behind the barbed wire fence, but in front of it. Uh, Bana Alabed, the, you know, the Syrian girl, the crying Syrian girl, all the white helmet narratives, the babies torn from incubators store. We're seeing the same stuff trotted out again. They they just have it's like a failure of imagination at this point because it's the same stuff and it doesn't matter 
that it's proven to be false. It doesn't matter. Rape camps in Serbia, Milosevic, the butcher of the Balkans. Well, yeah, but he was acquitted 10 years after his death by the court that was trying him illegally. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because what matters is the official uh, sanctioned narrative that, that people get through legacy media and there'll be an occasional um, mild, maybe a mild scolding that Israel is a little bit excessive. Maybe they shouldn't be quite, maybe they shouldn't kill, you know, everybody. Maybe it's just, you know, a little excessive. Um, that's what matters. That's what stays in people's minds. And, and this brings us back to education, which we've talked about so often on here. And, and it, 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 people don't read. People don't know the history. They don't read. They have had their, their curiosity, it seems to have been surgically removed. Nobody is curious or, or interested in the truth anymore. And, and there's an absence of genuine moral calculation now. Corey. I just wanted to mention the article in the liberal reg, um, The Guardian by Naomi Klein, um, gatekeeper Naomi Klein. And it, cause it's so sickening. So I, I have to mention it here on a, on a tweet, Mohammed El Kurd, the writer, he, he writes, dear Naomi Klein, thank you for giving voice to the voiceless, for reporting on the dead who weren't plastered on every global newspaper for the past week, and for speaking truth to power. Oh, wait, never mind. You came to the aid of the oppressors and the colonizers instead. Shame. And then in this um, Guardian article, which is titled, In Gaza and Israel, Side with the Child Over the Gun, I just noticed it's quite short, um, fast to read, but I, I noticed she doesn't, there's not even one mention of the word Palestinian or even Palestine within this article. Even though the title is Side with the Child, she doesn't mention that 50% of, of those that actually tried to survive you know, um, on the Gaza Strip are children. She she oh, does yeah. mention it. And, you know, and then I'm not sure when it was edited, but at the very end, and I think this is so um, not, this is, this is such um, propaganda itself. She says within her article, some of our supposed comrades on the left continue to minimize massacres of Israeli civilians, and in some cases even seem to celebrate them. Well, I have never, myself, I've, I've never witnessed um, any legitimate leftist doing such a thing, celebrating massacres um, at all. I think that's a blatant lie, to be honest. And then at the end, it says this article was edited at the request of the author to reflect the fact that celebrations of the deaths are rare, were rare, and many leading figures of the anti-colonial left in Palestine and outside of it clearly denounced targeting the civilians. So that's been added on to the end of the article. So I'm not sure what time that happened, or I'm actually not even sure because I didn't, I haven't looked in the Wayback Machine. Um, I have, I'm not sure what it, you know, how, how it read earlier than that. But I think it's um, really disgusting. 
you know, to, to have that type of a platform and, and, you know, just serve as a gatekeeper instead of serving um, as a voice for those oppressed, you know, and, and you know, those, it, it's just so horrific. I can barely even articulate the words and then to have these big names come up and, and they're given these platforms. But of course, they're given these platforms for a reason, right? Um, anyway, yeah. Just yeah. Johan. Yeah, yeah. Hi. Uh, where are you? Were you down, Corey? Yeah, yeah. I'm just really mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's healthy, though. I'm I'm in the luggage compartment of the train, trying to to do this from the phone. But I just I, I missed a lot of what you guys were saying. I I suppose, but I, I think this the situation. Uh, I think what we're seeing in the media really serves as a, as, a, as a beautiful case study of, of like the next level of, of propaganda. I, I sent you this clip from Australian, Australian CNN, Australian, Australian TV anyway, a news, uh, ostensibly a kind of news cast featuring, well, footage from the bombing of the Gaza Strip and the speech of Netanyahu. And, and then finally this, uh, there was an interview with a, a representative from some sort of a security think tank in Israel, and and if you if you looked at the framing of this thing, it was it was very difficult to separate from from a, like a U.S. war movie from from twenty years ago or something like that. I mean, you could pick it apart in every detail, and it, it was it's so hard to distinguish from entertainment. I mean. The lines between entertainment and, and these last couple of wars and, and mass media—they're—they're they're, they're not just blurred as as guys like Neil Postman and and Noam Chomsky talked about forty years ago. They, they kind of don't exist anymore. I mean, it's it's yeah. just gone. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. And and you know, people, people, the general public. I mean, there are people who know the difference and there's millions of people in the global south who know the difference and understand what this conflict is about and understand what israeli occupation actually means and that thousands of children suffer at the hands of of the Israeli military are put in prison, are killed, are bombed. This indiscriminate bombing of the most densely populated part of the world, that's a war crime. You're, you're not supposed to be allowed to do that. But, uh, but, but most people don't understand that. They, because they don't understand the history, they don't understand international law, they don't understand even what occupation means. They don't know the history of the, the anti-colonial struggles in Africa, the wars for liberation, the movements starting with South Africa, but they also don't know the history of the United States. And, and post-World War II, especially uh, the, the fact that the U.S had this school of the Americas, a military base in the US where they trained the death squads that then went <clears throat> under control of the dictators in Central and South America and tortured hundreds of thousands of people. 
people can Google Oscar Romero and find out why the CIA-trained death squads murdered him and the three nuns that were with him. This stuff has gone down the, the rabbit hole, the memory hole, uh, and, and uh, people don't realize the U.S. covert ops in places like Haiti and El Salvador and Guatemala and Libya and Syria and Indonesia, and I mean, it could go on and on, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan. It's, it's just endless. And they also, of course, are blind to the US uh, role in the conflict in Ukraine, that they put a government in power. They interfered with Russian elections in 96. In 2014, they put a, a West-leaning deeply racist fascist administration into power and followed it up with Zelensky's group. I mean, it's this is stuff that needs to be taught. Um, Corin? Oh, sorry. No, I, I didn't mean to oh, have my okay. hand up. Sorry. Johan. <laughs> I don't, uh, do I still have my hand up? Yeah, but I think sorry. the issue with Iran is, is very important because at the end of this segment I, I talked about, it clearly clearly contained this, this strong focus on, on Iran, uh, which is now the target of, of uh, public Israeli blame. And also the, the original joint statement by, I think, Germany, France, Italy, and the United States, and maybe some other country, explicitly contained a reference to Iran, but that was quickly removed. But it's, it's, it remained in Swedish uh, Swedish media for for a few hours. So I think I think there's a significant risk that uh, uh, the focus of of retaliation will will sort of target Iran. And I think there are also a, a few interesting local and domestic issues around Israel that, that play an important role here. I think we talked about this Saudi-Israeli deal that would yeah. have normal relations between between Israel and and uh, Saudi Arabia for the first time ever since the founding of the modern state of Israel because. Uh, Saudi Arabia has not recognized it ever. And there are significant uh, hardliners in Israel that do not want such a deal to, to take place. And of course, uh, also within the Palestinian groups. And also um, Netanyahu, uh, he's a very controversial figure in, in many ways. And he's been trying to push through this, this reform of the, the judiciary system, legal system in, in Israel which has met with, with the, the, the largest protests ever in Israel's history. And, and that kind of that internal opposition is, of course, gonna, it, it's gone now because they're, they're forming a coalition government with the opposition and, and everything is nice and peaceful within the, the, the domestic framework. So, so these, these the obstacles towards the authoritarian reform of the judiciary is, is, is gone, which is very welcome for Netanyahu. Right. <clears throat> well, the the again the other when you hear some criticism, I mean the 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 reality is there is some criticism of Israel, but it's usually from the far right, you know, fringe anti-Semitic. Uh, uh, I don't know, the Alex Jones uh, Infowars people. 
And that discussion usually usually takes the form of um, that that uh, the banks control everything. This was all planned in advance, and Mossad and 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 Hamas are in bed together, and it's all they're behind everything. And the target is Iran. And you know there are there are little threads of truth in all of that, but 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 the bigger analysis of those things, of course, is wildly wrong. And again, those discussions always eliminate the Arab from the discussion. They're just they're just um, these these toy pieces that are moved around on this giant chessboard. and and Arabs don't seem to have any consciousness or intention, agency, anything. Uh, they are just the playthings of the wise and sometimes very corrupt Western powers. There is no history of of the Arab world that's available to the West. Uh, it, it's very hard to find anything like um, a history of the Arab world unless it's written by by the people like Samuel Huntington. Uh, in which you get this kind of cuckoo uh, picture of of Arabs as cave dwelling primitives, and and uh, the the political history of the modern Arab world is is absolutely missing. Uh, Hiroyuki, that's that's true, and also uh, it also um, hide the uh, the the totality of the uh, the imperial structure if the uh, whole thing is designed by the uh, the Mossad and the Israeli establishment um this this is a um this has been going on for for a long long time blaming the proxy as the cause of the uh, the evil instead of the um uh, the the whole structure is creating the momentum. The all the institutions are collaborating. Um, if you try to say something uh, different, you, you're gonna be um, uh, stopped by the uh, uh, the media outlets, uh, educational institutions, uh, politicians will be uh, against you, and so this is not just simple. Um, um thing between Israel and uh, its people it's it's you know we really need to put it in the larger perspective and uh, analyze from that uh point of view yeah it, it you know and and this this um <clears throat> excuse me this criminalizing of dissent this increasing censorship that 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 one sees on the internet and elsewhere uh, there, there have been arrests at rallies, pro-Palestinian rallies, anti-Israeli rallies. People have been arrested. It's not an official law, but you get rounded up. Anyway, there's a term that people can Google. It's well known, but Hasbara, H-A-S-B-A-R-A. -A -A. Uh, it, it, it's a Hebrew word, and it kind of means explaining but what it means is functionally today is that's 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 the pro-israeli propaganda and that's pretty much all that's allowed anymore on the airways is is hasbara 
uh, that that's what you get in one form or another. And uh, the the token anti-Semites out there are given space because that's very useful to the imperial narrative and uh, uh, and helps justify the Israeli actions in response to Hamas. Uh, it's it's I, you know I'm at a loss to to find any other words for any of this because I just feel this enormous fatigue from all of it. But I think it is important that that, that, that everybody <laughs> recognize. I don't know where those voices are coming from. Um, recognize that that uh, censorship is is on the increase across the board everywhere, and uh, not just with this issue, but in general, there is a. a incremental it grows incrementally with each passing week that there's less and less that you're actually allowed to say and uh again we saw it with covid that you were not allowed to ask questions with, with russia and ukraine you're actually at a certain point not allowed to ask questions and certainly with israel and palestine you pretty much are not allowed to ask questions discourse has been uh <clears throat> foreclosed essentially and uh uh you you see it at at western uh, universities very acutely. They, the, the universities are the most rabid supporters of the Israeli state, and there's there's very little in the way of uh, college pro-Palestinian groups anymore. Um, once upon a time, there was a lot, and now there is almost none. And and this takes us back again to to a discussion about education. And and I think it is incredibly important, and we all have written about this in different ways, uh, <clears throat> because people don't read anymore, and it's a very big problem. And what they read is on the screen or on on uh, the screen of their smartphone, if not their laptop. And it's it's very little of it is substantive or difficult. People's vocabularies have shrunk, and everybody knows all of this. There is a total historical vacuum. There's just no understanding of history whatsoever to the point where my experience now is that people are suspicious of claims to historical truth. If you say, but but you have to look at the history, um, people look at you with suspicion, I think. Johan. Yeah, I just had a short comment here that, that this uh, this ire directed against the Palestinians is also it's also used to to um, support violence violence internal violence against uh, ostensibly immigrant groups in in, West, in the West because in, in France now they're 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 saying they're going to deport people who protest the the situation and take the Palestinian side. And a similar suggestion came from the the Sweden Democrats a, a few years, a few years, a few days ago. 
so so it's, it's clear that this is used as as a as a pretext to to foment and support internal violence against um, the targeted minority groups right right well yeah and and again that serves the interests of the ruling class and and we all know this and uh these sort of stories also serve because they are painted in as you pointed out earlier as entertainment they're like hollywood action movies and uh that's pretty much the the way people read the news now, but it serves as a distraction from domestic issues, homelessness in the United States. Um, God, I'm hearing all these strange sounds. Um, to, you know, the, the problems domestically, the, and there's an election looming um, in the US, which is going to be probably one of the more surreal uh, spectacles of modern times, I suspect. Uh, Matt Tybee had a very amusing column the other day because he was talking about Jens Stoltenberg, who for a year and a half or so has been hammering on that, that the war in Ukraine has nothing to do with NATO expansion, it has nothing to do with NATO expansion. This is nothing to do with NATO. It's not about NATO expansion. On and on for a year and a half. And the other day he said, well, yeah, I mean, this of course is about NATO expansion. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt Tyvey said, "What? How does this pass without like comment or notice or uproar? Um, it's just breathtaking." But he made a, a a comment at the end that I think I shared with you guys, where he said, "What is there a memo that goes out to people? Does Ursula van der Leyen or whoever it is send out a memo to the prime ministers of every country in the EU and say, OK, the official story is changing. Now we're going to say this, because in absolute lockstep with each other, every leader will now say the same thing. And uh, the, the leading voices for the imperial position are the same ones that were the leading voices for uh, the imperial position on Ukraine and on the lockdowns and COVID. The Commonwealth, uh, New Zealand, Justin Trudeau in Canada, England, uh, and, and the rest of the EU sort of follows along obediently there is a there is a mass political crisis uh, in the West because who who can you vote for? Uh, <clears throat> electoral politics is empty. Uh, it, 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 there's no party in Norway that that uh, is pro-Palestinian is uh, anti-NATO, uh, anti-war. Uh, there's no anti-war party at all. It's really quite striking. Okay. Um, anybody else with anything? I I have something I'd like to mention. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just, earlier this year, I don't know, maybe it was last year, I watched a great film on movie. It was called The Monopoly of Violence. And it's just about how it's, um, you know, again, another normalized thing, how we have no issue with the state, you know, being violent and oppressing and systematically, um, you know, killing and harming civilians. But we take issue with people when they 
um, you know, resist and fight back, right? Calling freedom fighters terrorists and so on. Anyway, out of this film, um, I, I noticed, I noted a really good quote in it, in it, and it was about when we're talking about censorship and how you're not allowed, right, to say anything unless you're going along with the narrative that um, supports the goals, um, desires of empire. Um, she she says, was this her name? I'm not, I'm actually not sure who she is. She was featured in the film as um, someone had interviewed her. Her name's Monique Chamelier, um, Gendro. Of course, I'm saying that wrong. But she talks about democracy and she says, um, democracy isn't consensus, but dissensus. If there is no dissensus, there is no democracy. If we all agree something's wrong, our freedoms have somehow been infringed. We can't all agree. It's a very old idea in political philosophy. Um, then she just goes on to say, we have to accept disagreement and give it life in, de in democracy, not reduce it or stifle it. And I, I just wanted to say that as we watch people be arrested you know, for waving the Palestinian flag, and I, I mean, at this juncture in time, I, I just wanted to add, as Palestinians, you know, the state of Israel now is systematically slaughtering Palestinian men, women, and children. And I think if you don't, you know, defend and stand with the people of Palestine, I, you know, you're, in my opinion, you're just absolutely morally destitute. I mean, it's just shocking to me that that anyone would would not, you know, stand up and defend um, Palestine with every fiber of their being. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the information, the histories are out there. It doesn't require a great deal of effort to to find those dissenting voices. Yet they may get disappeared soon. Norman Finkelstein has a couple of books that are essential reading if you want to understand this. Miko Pellet has a dozen videos and a book, and he was the son of an Israeli general. He has enormous moral authority in this. Gabor Mate is a Holocaust survivor, and he talks about the violence against the Palestinians in 1947 when he learned about it. And then when he traveled to Palestine, how horrified he was uh, and, and that he simply had no idea the extent of the cruelty against these occupied peoples. And uh, there are others. Jonathan Cook has a very good book. Max Blumenthal's book is very good. I mean, Max Perry has written about it. I can. There are people. Eve Bartlett is indispensable voice, and and you can look up her website. You can find her website. It doesn't take that much effort. Come to your own conclusion. Read the stories. Um, Hiroyuki, I, I think also um, it should be noted that the uh, when we talk about the notion of. Uh, stand with Israel, stand with uh, Ukraine, that's completely the notion of their imperial perspective. It's, it, it, we're expected to um, um, see those countries as 
the countries that are against anti-imperial uh, forces, and uh, we we've totally normalized it. But for the people, actual people who are in Ukraine or Israel, I mean, are they all agreeing with what's going on? I I know that the uh, there there are protests in Ukraine um against uh, uh the the nato expansion and uh, uh proxy war uh using their own country to go against russia and but but now those people are on the kill list you know because the west is uh promoting this idea of stand with ukraine which exclude anybody even if they are ukrainians they are excluded from being, you know, standing with those people, you know, we were talking about people in Israel. I'm sure there are some of them who would like country that are not apartheid regime, you know. I'm sure there are forces <laughs> that uh, hope that the their country can embrace all people. So, you know, the the notion of you know the propaganda. A narrative of standing stand with Ukraine, stand with Israel is extremely hypocritic and violent. It's 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 unbearable. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting uh, to sort of slightly segue to a to a different topic, but one that's related. Uh, apropos of of this idea of consensus agreement that you have to agree with with the prevailing official narrative to the degree now that governments are issuing memos to news organizations encouraging mass censorship uh it brings up like discussions of climate because you're you're not really allowed to question the prevailing positions of governments and and you know green organizations and so forth about climate uh and and yet within that that narrative the climate narrative the missing element is always militarism is always the military and the the contradictions and absurdities of the climate discourse now are just are laughable. And I, I you know, um, you see Bill Gates, who's backpedaling on climate suddenly, which is very weird, but OK. Um, Gates owns six private jets. You know, King Charles owns a number of private jets. John Kerry flies everywhere on private jets. Uh, this is the ruling class laughing at people, really. The, you know, it, it, it's, well, you've got to, you know, you've got to drive an electric car and we're going to stop. We're going to kill farming. We're going to stop it because meat, eating meat, farming for cow and pig and poultry uh, meat is is killing the environment, and we're going to stop that, and we're going to supply you with artificial meat. But if you go to state dinners in any any of the countries in the EU or North America, the big one that they just had at Versailles in Paris, this cracks me up. 
they're not serving artificial meat. They're serving very choice uh, slices of, uh, of the most expensive beef and uh, chicken they can find. Uh, they're not eating bugs. They're not drinking some weird chemical version of soy, quotation marks, milk. No, that's for everybody else. Um, Johan. Yo. Yeah, sorry. I, I think the these remarks you 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 make on on the consensus building here is, are are very important because you said earlier that that we can expect the the Western imperial managers to to move in lockstep on this issue, and I think it's it's probably the case that this will be used to shore up the the flagging political consensus in the West, the, the bad political cohesion we have, especially in, in the wake of the, the Ukraine situation. And a, a very useful method is, of course, to, to have this, this clearly identifiable other to, to engage with, which was the case after the 9-11 the events and, and uh, the war on terror and all of that. So it, I'm... I'm suspecting that that this might be used advantageously to sort of reintegrate the the psychological and political forces connected with the alt-right in Europe against this common Muslim other which is now even the the, the past few months become more and more politically feasible in in my context yeah um <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that that uh, it once the current you know twenty four hour news cycle subsides a little bit, and they've killed four fifths of the people of Gaza, the Israeli story will subside, and there will be a new uh, crisis, probably to do with Iran uh, and oil and energy and it'll, there'll be a big wave of pro-nuclear, uh, um, uh, information out there. Uh, it, it is absolutely predictable. And, it, and there's something very interesting in that. I mean, the, the direction that the climate, uh, uh, narrative is taking, uh, because at some point these contradictions become undeniable. I mean, even to the stupid, you know, uh, uneducated out there at a certain point, uh, because they are suffering now too, inflation and food shortages and everything else. Uh, and, and people are living three families to a house and so forth in the US. Uh, it's very dire actually. At some point, it's undeniable, even even to your average um, reader of this stuff. Um, Corey, um, this week I was able to find the time to put an excerpt out of the book um, "Scorched Earth" by Jonathan Crary on on Western science and capitalism. So the title is "The Disastrous Inseparability of Western Science and Capitalism." And I'll just, I, I'll put a, maybe you can add a link to it on the podcast. I think yeah. it's quite, yeah, it's quite short, easy to read. And I think it's um, very useful. And in it, there's a sentence. Um, let me see if I can just find it here. Um, sorry. Um, 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 
<laughs> Sorry, as early as the 1600s. Oh, no, okay. okay, as early as the 1600s, Western science had become one of the most discursive supports for racism, misogyny, and the genocidal colonial projects originating in Europe and then in North America. And I, you know, I would just add that I think this whole um, climate, you know, green climate emergency project is, um, you know, perhaps the most genocidal colonial project of all this far. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely true and a great point. And that's a great book, Crary's last two books, 24-7 and Scorched Earth are essential reads. They're very, very good. I've quoted them on my blog a lot. Uh, yeah, I it, 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 that, that turn in the 1600s, and I've written about this on the blog, uh, the, 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 uh, and Jonathan Beller, the Message is Murder, that's another book that touches on this, that the evolution of certain technologies, he uses photography as an example, were, were furthered and, and took a certain sort of direction as because they were so useful in, in colonial uh, possessions in 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 the imprisonment of people and the racism that ran the especially anti-black racism that ran through the Western world and they were used to justify the slave trade really um, that photography became a useful way to catalog and keep track of people mainly undesirables it's it, that's I will provide a link for that as well the, these are these are not wild far-fetched crazy ideas these are these are you know very well established historians and thinkers um <clears throat> jonathan query i think teaches at columbia um jonathan bell or somewhere uh in new york i believe he teaches uh they're worth looking up and reading people have to get used to i think i encourage people to you know tr tackle more difficult texts it's worth it uh you are never going to liberate your own mind from the colonization at work if you if you don't spend the time to read this work that is for a lot of people very difficult if not impenetrable but it's not ultimately you 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 first of all you read something that's very difficult theory uh and and you think you haven't absorbed any of it but you have my experience is that you have and then you read it a second time and you will be surprised and you read another book that's related you will be surprised oh and i'm starting to understand this you can be an autodidact. You don't have to go to university. I didn't go to university. I think I'm a pretty, you know, reasonably educated guy. Johan. Yeah, I did very much go to university and I, I wholeheartedly second this, this, what you're saying. And it can be also connected to, to what Corey said about um, introducing dissenses. The, the, Challenging yourself is, is to introduce dissensus in your own mind so that it can expand and so you can learn new things. And then this is a very, very important lesson to, to integrate, I, I think. And also in relation to Beller, uh, the unpredictable uh, usages and, and values of technology and the way they shape the future in, in uncertain ways, I think 
social media is probably the, the most effective tool of, of shaping and controlling the discourse. And on that note, um, now Facebook is apparently uh, pulling out all stops to suppress pro-Palestinian dissent in, in, in the social media discourse, which is, I mean, which is profoundly fucking insane, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Facebook has become just an appalling. I mean, I post things there and leave because uh, it's all just filler and ads now. It's very weird. Hiroyuki and then Corey. Oh, OK. Corey, here um, I accidentally had my hand out, but I think. Oh, sorry. sorry. There's Sorry, Mark. <laughs> you guys in your accidental hands. We're amateurs. We were not pro yeah. like you. you this know. is yeah. the title of my we're next project. The accidental <laughs> hand. Um, you, you know what? I, I, I was just going to say that uh, uh, the adding to the, the, the stuff about technology, um, I, there, it, we should also recognize that there, there's an aspect of the uh, any technology that's new and pervasive, like computer um, uh, and internet, those things become structural. You know, we can't get away from the uh, structure elements of um, computer being part of our lives, uh, governing all sorts of things. This becomes easily becomes uh, part of the uh, imperial framework and used against. Um, anybody who resists. And um, and this also relates to the fact that the, uh, um, the when the vaccines came out, um, the, you know, there was a talk about uh, vaccine imperialism, you know, would be- it, right, it, right. Yeah, the right. idea that the, if you are not uh, providing vaccines to the uh, uh, third world countries, uh, you are imperialist because you're yeah. discriminating. But but the fact is that the uh, medical tyranny is a basis for uh, manipulation and deception as well. So, you know, that's why, you know, China wants to go into their own version of uh uh, medical stuff, you know, Russia's doing the same thing. Even Cuba is, you know, doing that. So uh, there is, uh, you know, a lot to talk about. Uh, there is, and and you know, it's a, it's not. These things are never simple. I mean, I just had two operations, and I have, I have a a, <laughs> a device, an ICD. Um, implanted to help regulate my dyssynchronous heartbeat and i take medicine from big pharmaceutical companies and um this saved my life so you know why would i criticize technology well because uh, you know they also produced oxycontin these pharmaceutical companies oh. and they also you know produce massive amounts of antidepressants that are unproven to have any positive effect really uh and on and on so these discussions are not blanket simple discussions they are they require nuance and and debate and uh and and that's what's lacking in in legacy media what what you get are these you know, op-eds today in major in New York Times, LA Times, Washington Post are appalling, are appalling. Uh, 
and they're pure propaganda and they're badly written and they're nonsensical finally. Uh, and it's not much better in Europe. It's not much better, a little better, but not much in Norway. Um, but, you know, the Norwegian health system is a miracle as far as I'm mm -hmm. concerned. It, just astoundingly effective and efficient. It's a small country, yes, but still, uh, you know, you, you, you can't say, oh, well, it's all bad because it's not all bad. On the other hand, medical science launched MK Ultra. Uh, you know, and and created the Unabomber and tortured countless other people. Uh, so it it requires an understanding of class and of capitalism itself, and that profit drives most of um, the research in the West. It becomes complicated. Yeah, Johan, go ahead. Oh, sorry, I was talking to to another passenger here, but yes. I, I... <laughs> yeah, the, the healthcare system in, in Scandinavia is, is it's pretty good in, in many ways, especially in compared to the United States. But, but maybe that's a it, it's not a high bar to, to cross, maybe. But on, on what Hiroyuki said, I, I would also just I, I'd like to add the the, the rhetorical question of what, on Nigeria and why did nobody die of COVID there? Because they vaxxed nobody at all. They had no restrictions. Well, We're losing you. You're breaking up. Shit. Oh. Yeah, I I can't hear you. Okay, we'll okay. cut to Hiroyuki for a minute. Hiroyuki? You can't hear oh. me now. Ah, now I can okay. hear you. Sort of. I go ahead, Hiroyuki. <laughs> well, I was going to just say that the uh, uh, what uh, you, John, uh, said uh, is what I mean by it becomes structural. You know, it, it becomes the market, it becomes part of our lives. And, uh, you know, the, the, there's, uh, there's no way around it. It's, uh, um, it's a difficult situation and it requires uh, detailed analysis on details and also uh, analysis on the larger perspective of class structure and um, uh, capitalist uh, hierarchy. Like yeah. just like you're saying, yeah. Well, I was thinking this week again also of of how profound the anti-communism is in in Western propaganda that it still exists and and runs through everything, and it runs through the official Western uh, histories of of Palestine and Israel as well. That's that's why it's important to to at least read a little Marx, understand a little bit what class analysis means. Uh, these are starting places to, to, I mean, I've been accused, people have said to me, why, you're so anti-American, you hate everything about America, and you just always pick the opposite side to what, you know, if, if America's involved. And <clears throat> there's probably a little truth in that, but there's also a reason for it. I mean, America is the giant imperialist project and their record, as I said earlier, over the last 70 years since the end of World War II has been appalling, has been horrible. People's lives are far worse now than they were in 1955. 
people work longer for less money, less job security, and and they live in worse conditions. The, the infrastructure is worse than it was. Public transportation is worse than it was. The cost of everything uh, in real terms and with adjusted to inflation is much higher. People spend all their money on food if they have a family and they cut corners so they end up buying stuff that's not very healthy because it's all they can afford. For the very marginalized, it's very hard to even get to market sometimes because public transportation doesn't exist. You have these food islands. Uh, it's it's most, most of the educated white kind of affluent class, the bourgeoisie, have no idea how most of the world lives. They have absolutely no idea. They certainly don't know how the global South lives. And so when to bring this back to the climate discourse again, you have this agenda geared towards emerging markets, the giant NGO complex, and Corey has written about this better than anyone, I think. Uh, and that's what this discourse is about. That's what this agenda is about. Uh, the World Economic Forum is only one player in this. BlackRock and Vanguard and all these places control everything and own everything. And so they manipulate the information and people are given this very skewed picture of the world around them. And um, yeah, anyway, Johan, uh, you got your hand up? Yeah, let me let me try this time then. So yeah, I, I think these are... These are very important issues to, to continue discussing. I would like Varun to, to chime in on, on this neo-colonial discourse that we were sort of touching upon, because I, I would argue that, it, it, to go back to my idea of this pivot towards Iran, I would argue that there's no better time for the West to really exploit this, this situation to strike, because the Ukraine war is a disaster. We have the, the natives are restless in our colonial African territories. We have the situation in, in Niger and all of that. And on in the beginning of 2024, Iran will be integrated into the BRICS uh, trade alliance and together with Saudi Arabia, which is incredibly dangerous for the hegemony of the West. So, so I would, there's like no better window of opportunity to, to push towards a confrontation of some kind with Iran. What's the view from India on all of this? Because India has a special place, I think, in the BRICS situation with, with ties, strong ties to the West as well. Well, I posted two images on the Telegram group and I think, I don't know if, if we can post them under the, under the podcast, but the statement made by the prime minister was swinging in favor of Israel, for example. Uh, sympathizing with Israel against the terrorists of Hamas. But then the foreign ministry is now taking a very different stance of uh, calling for peace and uh, clear borders and so on and so forth. So like I was saying on the last podcast was that <clears throat> the position with India is so delicate at the moment that it has to play its cards very right because this can blow up 
against India and India can become become another kind of target of a proxy war of NATO proxy war against Russia and China. And yeah. I think that because trade wise we're we're really entrenched like so the debt economy is running on US banking systems, but the trade economy is running between China and Russia. Right. So we have massive deals that are going on with Chinese and Russian conglomerates, but a lot of the money is being pumped in by the US banking system. So in that sense, we are being pulled in two directions and it's inevitable that it gets torn apart. I think it's inevitable that we will see what happened in a lot of African countries in the last since the 80s, that there is an internal destruction process that starts. I think it has already begun but it will eventually foment into religious violence, um, irrecoverable debt, and depression, of course. But then there's also going to be like this kind of scattering of the states. Uh, and that that's already happening in the Northeast now, in Manipur, if you have followed the story, of um, um, minority persecu persecutions. So when these kind of stories start happening, I, my understanding is that the decline is not going to take too long for it to complete. So the, the rift between the super rich and the super poor is going to just increase. And we are going to see the rise of a very affluent class in the next five, seven years and a very, very debt-laden, very poor class that is struggling to survive in India very soon. I think that's the picture that I can see right now for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to, we should probably come up with our final thoughts here. That is very interesting, Varun. Uh, but I just wanted to make note of the, the other, we encourage this kind of uh, uh, educational renaissance, autodidacts, that people can start to educate themselves. It's empowering. You also have to look at the death of culture. Uh, I, you, 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 Battle of Algiers, good time to watch Battle of Algiers again, the Ponte Corvo film. But that's 60 years ago that film was made. Today we have Barbie and Marvel Comics. And Marina Obramovich is in the news again, making the Brie and Chablis circuit um, of gallery openings and whatnot. This kind of empty, vaguely fascistic cultural product is probably going to increase over the next few years, even more than it is now. And there is a kind of... A secondary attack against established culture and art, and uh, it a lot of it comes from the from the left, weirdly enough, but from the right as well. It, it part of the educational renaissance we we lobby for. I think it's very important that art and culture be part of that. I just wanted to add that. Okay, final thoughts from anybody? Um, I just have one more thought. So, I mean, there's a lot trying to, you know, in the media the past week, pulling Iran into this. 
and another aspect of it, and I think we may have discussed it really briefly, like in our communications that we have with, you know, just with us on our telegram, um, you know, if like right now, I guess Biden's facing calls to block Iran's oil, even if gas prices soar, which we know will help, um, you know, move along in North America, especially in Canada and the States will help um, basically gain acquiescence from the public for nuclear right and for carbon capture storage and basically move along the green economy it's not green right but there's yeah. that, that aspect of it as well right so there's lots yeah. of different sort of things to look at here yeah also i mean i'll just quickly add here that i mean india is also launching new nuclear programs and to add to what uh, johan asked was that and i've mentioned this before is that I, I feel that India will eventually end up being the dark horse in the BRICS for NATO. That's the arm twisting that is going to occur, I think. Otherwise, we're, yeah, anyway. No, interesting. Hiroyuki? I, I just want to uh, repeat that the uh, uh, those uh, clips uh, from Jimmy Dore show uh, with um, uh, Norman Finkelstein, Oh, yeah, uh, were really good uh, in explaining the recent uh, development and the, the historical context. So I highly recommend people to uh, watch it. Yeah, I'm going to put those in the links uh, right. as best I can. They're very good. Finkelstein is excellent. Um, okay, Johan, anyone else? Yeah. Last yeah, sure. Yeah, I have nothing interesting to say, I think, but just the fact that I'm standing here in the, the luggage compartment of a train going through Sweden, talking with with you guys across the world about these events. I, I mean, this is a pretty amazing time to live in in many ways. So so maybe we can somehow take heart in that fact. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah our, our podcast and my bionic heart is... <laughs> <laughs> The plus side to uh, to the the technological world. Um, okay, thank you all, and um, I will uh, talk to you soon. Thanks to Jack Littman, of course, in LA, as always, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks from now. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Check me as a fist. Miss Adele, don't say that. A boy shouldn't do that. Mr. Adele, don't say that. Move, I say you shouldn't ever say.